that phrase, though, uh, you know, it's all fun and games uh, until someone gets hurt, uh, is a true statement in life. And I was thinking about it that for many people that I've talked to this week, they've shared about the fact that there are some unexpected pain that they've experienced in this last year. And that the holidays have a tendency to increase that feeling of pain and loss that we experience. I was talking with one woman this week who uh, is going through a divorce right now. And she said, if, if I would have known a, a year ago that this is what I was going through, I would have never thought it. I would have never thought that our family was going to get blown up. I would have never thought that our marriage was going to blow up. I would have just never thought it would have happened this way. How does this thing, kind of thing happen? I talked to another person uh, who's had some issues with his, uh, with his mom. And there are these layers and layers that are there. And in the pain, he's like, you know, I, I love my mom, but I just really, really struggle to be able to deal with Christmas with her this year. And I have no idea what's going to come. I talked to a, a woman this week who's pregnant, and the guy who got her pregnant has left the scene, is nowhere to be found, and she said these words. She said, I'm just so scared, I can't imagine doing this without any help. I talked to a guy who's going through some real financial trouble, and he shared I made some stupid decisions financially, and now we're struggling just to kind of make it through week to week. And I'm fearful that things are going to start getting shut off. And I just can't believe I'm in this position. And some people would say, you know, when I look at my life and I look at everything that's gone on, I just thought I would be at a different place than I am today. I can't believe that at this age and at this stage in my life, here's where I am. God, I, I really thought that things would be different. You know, a lot of us carry a lot of guilt and shame and regret from our past. Things that we said, things that we did, something that distracted us from living a life that we really wanted to live. So today, what I want us to do is to look and to move beyond the pain that maybe we've had in the past and move into the blessings that God has for our future. And our key verse that we want to look at this morning is in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. It's written by a guy by the name of Paul who wrote close to half of the New Testament, the second half of the Bible. And this is what Paul says. He says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. What kind of sorrow is it again that leaves no regret? Godly sorrow. That sorrow that says, God, I'm sorry that I hurt you. And when we do that, it actually leads to repentance and salvation and it leaves no sense of regret. But there is a second type of sorrow, and it's in the second part of this uh, verse. It says, but, what's the next word? But worldly 
sorrow brings what? It brings death. Folks, there is sorrow that is righteous and godly. It's the kind of sorrow that says, God, sorry that I messed this plan up that you had for my life. I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for the people that I've actually hurt in my life. And this kind of sorrow, when we have that, it actually leads to forgiveness and it leads to no regret. It leaves no regret. But there is another kind of sorrow, and I think it's a sorrow that you and I probably have a tendency to be tempted into and to live in, and it's this worldly sorrow. And it's a sorrow that says something like this, I'm sorry I did this, I'm sorry I got caught, I'm sorry that this is affecting me, and all of a sudden it's an inward sorrow, and often it leads to things like depression. Now, for the rest of our time, what I want us to look at is how are we going to move from a worldly sorrow to a godly sorrow that actually brings change and new life for you and I. You know, we've been in this series on forgiveness, and week one we talked about forgiving other people. Last week we talked about seeking forgiveness from people that we hurt. And today I want us to talk about forgiving ourselves. Every year I'll do a series on forgiveness and I'll have a little card and I'll ask people, who is the one person that you need to forgive the most? You want to take a guess what the number one response is? Self. It's always me, myself, and I. And today I want us to move beyond the hurt that we've experienced and actually move into receiving forgiveness that God has for each one of us. Now, in order to do that, I want us to look at an Old Testament character, a person who had everything going for him in his life, and then he made one huge mistake. We're going to look at a guy by the name of David, who at one point was just a little shepherd boy taking care of sheep, but eventually uh, he was called and chosen by God to be the king of all of Israel. We're told that he was a man after God's own heart, and he was a person that God had handpicked. And yet, he made a tremendous mistake. Scripture says that one day, he's uh, at the top of his palace, and he looks down, and he sees a woman by the name of Bathsheba. And she is a hottie. I mean, she is on the E network, you know, with the exclamation point. And he looks out, and he sees her. And he just can't resist. And the next thing you know, he has an affair with this woman. And to top it off, he actually gets her pregnant. And so E! News runs in and they find David trying to figure out, what am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this thing? And so he comes up with a plan. And this is his plan. I know her husband. In fact, he's one of my best buddies. What I'll do is I'll put him on the front lines of the war and I'll have him slaughtered, taken out, and then I'll be able to cover my sin. And in a matter of just moments, he does all of that. He puts this plan together and his best friend is killed on the front line. And David becomes the king who becomes a murderer. Not only that, 
we see after that time that he loses a lot of things. He lost his name, his good name. He lost his reputation. He lost his integrity. And he ruined Bathsheba's name as well. Well, eventually Bathsheba has this baby. And through all of the the pain of childbirth and everything else, the the little boy, boy, though, is finally born. Now, some of you might know the story, but if you don't, this is what happens. The baby is born, and the baby is very, very sick. It's a very sick child. And David's heart breaks for his little boy, this sick little boy. And what did he do? Scripture says that immediately he sought the Lord. He took seven days, and he prayed, and he fasted. He didn't eat any food. And he realized, he prayed to God, God, this is not the boy's fault. This is my fault. Please spare him. But at the end of the seven days, tragically, the little boy died. And David carries this guilt on his shoulders because he knows he is the guilty one. And it affected someone who was innocent. Now the Lord was willing to still work with David's life. Even though he had made a very poor, bad choice. And that's the way God is with all of our lives. No matter the choice that you make, when you turn to him and you want it to be made right, God gives us second chances, third chances, thousand chances, ten thousand chances. He never stops working with us. But David had to make a choice. And his choice was this. He could either take the pain that he had and he could blame God and he could get mad at God and he could walk away from God. Or he could use the hard heart that he had and said, God, I want to open this up. Would you soften my heart so that I could be changed and to bring it to the one who knows him best and loves him most? Let's look at what David did as he moved forward. And I think David's story may help many of us to move forward to forgive ourselves from whatever's in our past as well. Here's the first thing that you and I need to do. You need to learn to accept what cannot be changed. You need to learn to accept what cannot be changed. Look at verses 22 and 23. The servants come to David and let him know what has happened. And this is what... David, or this is how David responds. While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? What did David do? He accepted the fact that he could not change the past. And today, some of you need to embrace that truth. There's something in your past, something that maybe no one else knows, a skeleton in the closet. Maybe for others of you, it's something that has been lingering in your mind over the last few weeks or months or year, but you've had a hard time forgiving yourself because you cannot accept the fact that some things just cannot be changed. So, what's the choice? Our uh, youngest daughter, Shiloh, uh, is a very sensitive child. 
She always wants to be the mother hen for all the other children, uh, especially children that are smaller than her. And she is extremely sensitive. She gets upset, you know, if you you say certain things because she's just that kind of kid. And she has a very, very soft heart. And uh, she's six years old, but she still has her bumpy. And at night, she takes her blankie, her bumpy, and she puts it there and uh, she goes to sleep and she has her little blankie bumpy with her. And she often will take her stuffed animals and put them all around the bed and make sure that they're all cared for so that when we all go to sleep, we have a good night's sleep. She'll use her imagination to think that she's the mom taking care of this whole group of children and stuffed animals. Well, a couple of years ago, I started noticing that the number of stuffed animals that she and my daughter Jordan had really started to accelerate to multiply. And I counted and we had over 25 stuffed animals, not in their rooms. There were stuffed animals there too, but just in the playroom. And so I had this idea, we need to get rid of some of the stuffed animals. But I knew I had to do it in such a way that they would be for it. So I started thinking about all the children in the world who will never receive a stuffed animal. And so I went to him and I said, hey, there's some organizations where kids don't receive any kind of stuffed animal, and I'd like each of you to give three. Well, my oldest daughter, the defense attorney, she wanted to reduce that sentence down to like two. But I said, no, 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 the judge has spoken, it has to be three. So uh, we go ahead and they, they're all for it finally, and they're like, yeah, we should give it to, you know, people that don't have it, real proud of my girls. And they do. We take six stuffed animals. I take them to an organization that sends them off and gives them to kids uh, who won't have one. Well, everything's going well. Shiloh doesn't think anything about it until later that night. We're in the playroom playing together, all four of us as a family. And she looks up and she goes, where's uni? Because she had this guy that she was supposed to give up. And this is the guy she gave away. It's a unicorn. But he's called Uni. And I said, what do you mean, where's Uni? And she said, well, where's he at? I don't see him, Daddy. And you know, if you're a parent, sometimes you just hope your spouse stays in the same room, kind of helps you through the whole process. I look, and it's like Jen has vanished. She is nowhere to be found. It is solo bunch. And Jordan follows her, too. So it's just Shiloh and I. And so I was like, well, honey, don't you remember that you had to give up Uni so that some other little child in the world who doesn't have one, you know, could have that. And I'm smiling, you know, trying to reassure her that she did the right thing. And then all of a sudden, maybe you've experienced this with a child before, their face starts getting kind of splotchy red. It's not like immediate tears or anything like that, but just kind of splotchy red. And eyes start welling up. And all of a sudden, I see a tear that comes down. And she goes, but I love uni. And I looked at her straight in the face and I got on her level and I go, I know, honey, you loved uni. And I want you to know that daddy loves you very much. But uni is never coming back. Uni is gone. It is gone and it is not coming back. Well, at that point, the splotchy face started shaking You know, and then tears just started coming out of all crevices of her body. And she's just a mess. 
and she's caught, you know, crying and bawling her eyes out. And I'm like, I know it's hard, you know. And this is the thing. She had a huge, big cry that night. But the next morning and every day since then, she's never thought about uni again. Now, here's the point. Today, some of you are continuing to stay in a mourning process of something that you did a day ago, a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, a decade ago, and you keep beating yourself up. And some of you, the, the most loving word that God could say to you is this, uni is gone. You cannot go back and change what has already happened. There's something that you wish you could change from your past, but you can't. And you have a choice. You can stay stuck in your past and stuck in your mistakes and stuck in your failure. Or today you can move forward and you can start by accepting the fact that some things cannot be changed. You know, there are things that have happened in each of your lives, in my life. There are things that God has already forgiven us. He's already said, you're totally forgiven. I totally do not think about that anymore. He's a God of amnesia. He forgets after we seek forgiveness. He forgets the sin. But we don't. We keep drudging it up and digging it back up again. And the pain we carry in our hearts. But in order to move forward with what God wants to do, you have to finally accept the fact that there are some things that cannot change. Your unicorn has left the building. And you cannot change what has happened in the past. The second thing that we have to do if we're going to move toward forgiveness is this. We must learn to give it up to God. Whatever the burden is, whatever the guilt, whatever the heaviness is, whatever the shame, whatever the regret, whatever that thing is that you're carrying, you must learn that you have to give it up to God. Verse 20 in David's story in 2 Samuel says this. Again, remember, he's just lost his infant son. Scripture says this. Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, he put on lotions and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. What did this guy do? He got up and he went to church. He said, I am going to worship God. I'm going to lift him up. In the middle of his lowest time, he turned to God. And that's what you and I must do as well. But when we're hurting, there are many times in which we don't do that. We don't immediately turn to God. Where do we turn when we're hurting? I think the first place that we turn to is we turn inward. We turn inward. And when we turn inward, we have this kind of mentality. I cannot believe this happened. I feel so badly for what I did. I must be the most horrible person in the world to have done this particular thing. And what do we do? We just turn inward and we think about how horrible we are. Second place, what do we do when we're hurting? We turn outward. 
we actually turn outward. This is where we go to other people around us outwardly and we try to get them to validate our own existence. Would you please tell me I'm not such a bad person? Would you please tell me that the thing that I did was not as bad as it could have been? Could you tell me that I'm not as wrong as I could have been? So first kind of response to hurt, we turn inward, how horrible we are. Secondly, we turn outward. Hey, would someone validate me for the things I've done uh, that are bad? But the best place to turn, and the thing I want to encourage you today, is not to turn inward or outward, but you turn upward. You actually turn immediately whenever the mistake or whatever has happened. You turn upward to God. You turn to Him alone and you seek your strength and peace from Him. 2,000 years ago, there was a young couple full of love for each other. They cared for each other. They were looking forward to getting married because they were engaged to one another. And the groom had this huge love for his bride, like to show her off. And everything was going well until one day the bride comes to the groom and says, I'm pregnant and it's not yours. And Joseph's like, I absolutely know it's not mine because we haven't done anything for that to happen. So who is the jerk that did this? And Joseph's upset. And immediately, I think Joseph has this turning inward. He's like, what's wrong with me? Why did she have to go out with someone else? Am I not enough? Am I not good enough? And then Joseph eventually doesn't just stay inward. He turns outward too. And he starts wondering, like, hey, tell me I'm a good guy. Tell me I'm a righteous guy. Tell me this isn't my fault. This is someone else's fault. I mean, she keeps telling me it's the Holy Spirit. I mean, what a great way to tell a guy, you know what? Hey, I'm pregnant. It's not by you, but it's the invisible guy that impregnated me. That's that's who it is. Well, that's Joseph's side. Then you have Mary. And so many times we look at pictures of Mary and she looks like she's like in her mid-20s. And uh, it looks wonderful. Everything's great all of life. But when this happens, most scholars believe she was 14 or 15 years old. She's just a teenager. And all of a sudden, an angel comes to her and says, you are going to bring into the world the Savior of all humanity. And she's not highly educated and she's not from a rich family. And she's just wondering, like, what's going on? I mean, the best thing that she had going for her life at that point was her relationship with Joseph. And then she gets pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Anyone want to try to explain that this morning? Go ahead. I'll give you my mic if you want to do that. I mean, there's no explaining that. Okay. There's no PR that you can twist around and turn it around to make it all look right. And you, can you imagine behind the scenes, the very first time that she comes to her parents and says, Hey, Mom and Dad, I want you to know that something's happened with Joseph and I. We were only kissing, but I'm pregnant. And then Mom's like, 
what a kiss. Holy cow, you know? And then there's like little sister in the background that's going, hey, mom, uh, I was in sex ed class this week and I don't think kissing does that. Is that really what happens? And all of the chaos that you could just imagine that's going on in this family. Because, folks, the birth of Jesus Christ was not a natural act. It was a supernatural act, a mystery that we cannot even fully comprehend. To begin to fulfill the plan that God had for you and I. And a privilege that Mary had. But if you think about the practical component of her life, this is a difficult time. This is a hard thing she has to deal with. And she explains it to Joseph, and he can't believe it. I mean, can you imagine anyone kind of believing that story? No guy would. But instead of causing humiliation or disgrace, Joseph decides to break it off quietly because he's a righteous person. And why does that happen? The reason is, is because in that day, if there was a woman that was engaged to a man and she got pregnant by another man, she would be stoned to death. Sometimes they would even wait until after she delivered the baby and then the baby and the mom were stoned. So Joseph loved her and said, no, I don't want to do this. And at this point, when you look at this relationship, before you know the rest of the story, but if you just look at it from a practical stance, you're like, this relationship's over. They are done. There is nothing but pain and loss for the rest of their lives. I was thinking today that maybe some of you this morning, you're facing a burden in your life. Maybe there's a relationship that you have that is falling apart. Maybe your finances are falling apart. Maybe someone in this past year who you love very much has died, and now you're dealing with the loss of just trying to survive. Maybe you've done something really stupid, and you have consciously sinned, and you have hurt yourself, and you've hurt other people around you. And maybe you have a tendency to either want to turn inward or to turn outward. And what I want to challenge you to do today, folks, more than any other place that you turn, that you would turn upward. And that's exactly what we find in the story of Joseph and Mary. An angel comes to both of them. And as the angel comes to them, the angel is like, do not be afraid. God's got this. No matter what you've done in your life today, God is saying, don't be afraid. God's got this. For Mary and Joseph, it wasn't anything that they had done, but just the fear of thinking of what's going on. The angel comes and God, through the angel, says, don't be afraid. God's got this. Give it to me. And this is what both Mary and Joseph do. They turn upward to God. They look to him. And scripture says this, an angel came to Joseph and said these words, she, Mary, will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Do you want the word Jesus means? The Lord saves. The whole reason that Jesus came to planet earth was to save people, make people whole, make them complete, make them know that they don't have to carry any burden. 
You are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. 700 years earlier, God came to a prophet and said, this is going to happen. And in God's timing, 700 years later, it took place. And Joseph and Mary, what a great example. They did not turn inward. They did not turn outward. They made a decision that they could have done both of those things, but they choose to look upward to God. And they gave their burden, their fear, the fear that they had of how is this whole thing going to work out. They gave it to him and God took them from difficulty to peace. You know, sometimes when I'm going through this thing called life, the only way I know how to make it is that I have to give whatever it is that I'm carrying to God. There are many times when I'm working on the teaching and I'll get to midweek and I'm like, man, this thing stinks. Like there is nobody in the world that is going to be able to listen to this. And God, I need your help. And I release that to him. Like, God, you do what you can do because I'm at my end. And today, some of you, that's what you need to do. You need to give it all up to him. Whatever the thing is that you're carrying, you can't do it on your own. You've got to give it all up to him. Your world may have been rocked. The circumstances aren't going well. You're getting ready to enter the Christmas season. And you're like, how am I going to make it? And some of you need to embrace the fact that the past is not going to change. And so you've got to take whatever it is that is from your past and you give it up to God. The third thing that we must do to move forward to forgive ourselves is this. We must learn to focus on what is left, not lost. We need to focus on what is left, not lost. Now back to David's story. Here's the king, and he is messed up, like royally. The sin was the affair that he had with Bathsheba. The baby died because of David's guilt. And so he feels this sin and this guilt, and he's like, ah, oh, God, but he turns upward, and there's this amazing verse in verse 24 that says this. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and lay with her. She gave birth to a son. This is a second son. And they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him. Now what do we see in this verse? Could God have ever replaced the son that died? No. Could the pain and the loss that he had experienced in the loss of this first son ever completely go away? No. But what did God do? God didn't change the past. He just chose to do something brand new. Folks, our spiritual enemy, Satan himself, loves to go back into your past and to say, this is who you are. This is what you are. This is what people see. This is your identity. And he wants us to constantly look in the back. Look in the back, look in the back. We have a tendency sometimes to look in our rearview mirror because we're always looking what is behind us. 
For example, I've seen this with ambulance drivers. You know, ambulance, if you've ever looked in the back, what do you notice about this? What's wrong with this? How's it spelled? It's spelled backwards. It's in the back. And I have a theory why they do this. Because ambulance drivers want to strum up more money. They just want to strum up a little bit more business. So they do it backwards. Why? So that when you're driving, you look in your rearview mirror, and then you can see ambulance. You're like, oh, there's an ambulance. Bam! You hit the car in front of you. See how they do it? Then all of a sudden, they've got some business. Now, why does that happen? Because we're looking in the rearview mirror. We're looking what is in the past rather than looking forward to the future that God has for us. Paul put it this way. Let's read this out loud together. It'll come up on the side screens. Let's read it out loud together. I forget what is behind and I press for what is ahead. You know, the problem with many of us is we tend to remember the things that we should forget and we forget the things that we should remember. Let me say that again. We tend to remember the things that we should forget and we forget the things that we should remember. We go back into the past and we drudge things up. And God is like, why do you keep doing that? I've already forgiven you for that. Quit digging that thing back up. You are forgiven. Folks, the past cannot be changed, but the meaning of the past can be changed. We can never change what happened, but God can change the meaning of the past if we will allow him. Uh, Anybody here excited for football over the next couple of weeks? Anybody? Okay, a few. All right. And uh, over the next two weeks, uh, Americans are going to watch tons of football on television. Um, I want to, once you look at a picture, see if anyone can tell me who that is. Anybody know who that is? This guy, his name is, was Roy Regals. In 1929, Roy's University of California Golden Bears took on the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. And during the game, Roy had this killer hit on another player on the other team, and the guy fumbled the ball. And when he fumbled the ball, Roy picked it up, but he got disoriented. And he, they didn't have the same helmets, you know, that they have today. Talk about concussion protocol back then. These are real men that played football, you know. And so he gets hit and he gets disoriented. He picks up the ball and he just starts running. The only problem was he was running in the wrong stinking way. He was going to the opposite end zone of where he, where he was supposed to be going. And he's running and he's running. And the coach, and his, the coach of his team is yelling to uh, Roy's teammates, tackle him, tackle him. And he just keeps running. And like the crowd is, you know, yelling, go, Regals, go, go, Regals, go. And he's like running like, whoa, look at this. And he's running. 
negative 65 yards towards the wrong way. He finally gets almost to the goal line and one of his own players tackles him on the two yard line. He's tackled. Georgia Tech gets the ball. They score a touchdown. They go in halftime and they're up. And Roy walks into this halftime. He goes to a bench and he sits down at the bench all by himself and he starts to weep because he realizes that he has just humiliated himself and his team and the entire university. He has become the laughing stock of the world in one moment. The coach comes in, Roy's still by himself. And the coach stands up and he tells the team, he said, now guys, whoever started the first half is starting the second half. Now get out there, let's go. And all the team gets excited and they run out. Roy had started the first half, but he didn't do that. He actually just kind of stayed on the bench. And the coach comes up and says, Regals, didn't I tell you, everybody who started the first half needs to get out there and they're going to start the second half. He's like, yes, sir, I I know you said that. He put his head back down. He's like, Regals, I told you. He's like, coach, I can't go back out there. I'm so humiliated. I mean, I have let you down. I've let the team down. We're going to lose. It's over. And the coach reaches down. He grabs him by his helmet and he looks at him and he says, Regals, you are my player. You made a mistake. I forgive you. Now go out and win the second half. And people who saw him play that day, said that Regals played like a man that was possessed. And they defeated Georgia Tech by a gigantic margin because something changed. And let me ask you, what changed? What was it that took this guy from defeat and failure, the laughing stock, to actually victory? What was the change? What did it come down to? It came down to two things. The first thing it came down was someone said, I forgive you. I forgive you. And the second thing that it came down to was that the coach gave him a second chance. Forgiveness and a second chance. Why did Jesus Christ come to planet Earth? He came to give forgiveness and a second chance. You know, this weekend and throughout these next few weeks, you'll see in end zones a sign that looks like this. John 3.16 will be at the, in the end zones of all kinds of games. And I'd like for us to read John 3.16, maybe the most popular verse Uh, in the Bible. Let's read it out loud together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. 2,000 years ago, God sent his one and only son. And what's it say? To give himself, to love 
every single one of us to forgive us, to give us second chances. But if you only read John 3.16 without the next verse, you don't understand what the main purpose that he had for the world was. In John 3.17 it says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to, what's the word? What is it? He came into the world not to condemn the world, but to, what's it say? To save it. To save the world through him. When God sent Jesus into the world, it wasn't just to love and to give himself, although he did both of those things. But it was actually to let you know that you are not condemned. Therefore, there is no condemnation for anyone who turns to Christ because he came to save, to make you whole. Jesus Christ came to give you a fresh start in this world, to make it new, to make it right. Isaiah 43 says this, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the, what's it say? What is it? Past. Do not dwell on the past. God says, see, I am doing a what? A new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. What God is saying here is that I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing a different thing. I want you to know that you do not have to think about your past anymore. Let it go. Let it go, let it go. Like some of you, you hear that song and what you don't realize is that that's what God's saying to you every single day. That you try to carry on and hold on to the past when he's forgiven you. He says, let it go. Today is a new day. And as you approach Christmas, as you approach this new year, I want you to... Hear the words of the risen Christ who says, I forgive you and I give you second chances. I forgive you and I give you second chances. Today, after this celebration, there are nine people that are going to get baptized. Nine people who have basically said, I know that I have to accept that I cannot change what's in the past. I have to give whatever I have openly to God. And I have to focus on not what is lost, but what is left. And each of them have an amazing story. And we could share all of their stories, but I know some of you need to go Christmas shopping because you're in trouble. (laughs) So what we basically did was we just asked each of these folks to think of one word that expressed their life before they received the forgiveness of Christ. And then one word after they had received the forgiveness of Christ. And so what I'd like you to do is to take a moment to check out the signs of this video we're going to show and also the faces of the people of change when forgiveness comes. Let's take a look. I know a place where we can go to lay the troubles down in your soul. I know a place where mercy flows. Take the things, make you wider than snow. Like a tide, it is rising up deep inside. 
You know, this is the reason why I do what I do. This is the reason why I give finances and time and energy. Is because of changed lives. That when God gets into people's lives and they experience the forgiveness of God, their lives are changed. Did you see that broken, unbreakable? I was negative, now I'm positive. I was irrelevant, and now I'm relevant. I regretted things, but now I'm forgiven. And God loves to do that kind of thing, to forgive and to give second chances. And you know, I just felt a a prompting this week that there might be some of you who are here today that you're like, you know what? I've never asked for that forgiveness. I don't even know who this God is that you're talking about, but as you've talked about him today, and if he gives second chances, man, I want him in my life. I want to begin a relationship with him. So I'm going to invite you to stand for closing prayer. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up. If you'd like prayer for anything, they would love to uh, pray with you. And if you've never settled the issue of Christ in your life, then I guess I'm just wondering, why are you waiting? There is one who will forgive and give second chances. And so today, if you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself that, you know what, if I had to look at my life right now, I need forgiveness. I need a good plan for my life. I need to have someone that I can take my burdens to and I could really like give everything to him. And I want the assurance that the relationship with him is not just the here and now, but it is forever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life with him. And so I was just thinking about it, that maybe some people today, you're like, I'm ready for that. I'm ready to make that decision. And so I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And I'd like all of us to pray this prayer out loud. I'll share it and then you can just uh, repeat after me. But if you, for the first time, are, are saying that prayer, when you're done saying the prayer, we have a gift for you up here. It's a Bible and it has a reading plan to it. So if you're like, man, I don't even know how to do that. There's some tools to help you with that. But if you don't have the assurance today that you know that you've asked for the forgiveness, you've received the the second chance, and that he is a part of your life, then come up here, get a Bible. Let's celebrate with you for doing that. But let's all say this prayer out loud together, and I'll lead us in the prayer. Just repeat after me if you feel comfortable doing so. Let's pray. God, thank you for sending Jesus 2,000 years ago. To save my life. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. 
I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's give a big hand of applause for people that said that. And again, if you said that prayer for the first time, we have a Bible here. And let me just do one last wild thing, and then you're good to go. If you've never been baptized today, we got shorts, we got t-shirts, we got towels. So there's no reason. But if you're like, dude, I'm ready to do it today, we got it. We got you hooked up, okay? We got you taken care of uh, to do that. So, uh, hey, have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. Thanks, everybody.